Welcome to Sacred Realms. Great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I'm joined, as always, for the last time in season one of Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast, Matt Willoughby. It is our season finale. Such a weird thing to say. So, like, we have one of those now. Yep. Does that mean we've made it? Uh, Or at least we're, like, on track to making it? I don't know. I feel like if you can say... I have a season finale or was like in a season finale. I feel like that's uh, not many people can say that. So that's I, neat. I feel like you can only say that you've made it if people come back for the first episode of season two. OK, well, that's fair. And but we're not pulling, you know, like a Star Trek or a Lost or something and just leaving the season finale on some crazy cliffhanger. So hopefully people like us enough to come back <laughs> just for, you know, us. The episode ends with Mr. Worf fire. fire. <laughs> Mr. Worf. <laughs> and then you have to wait all summer to see what happens. Do they fire or do they not? Is Captain Picard gonna... dead? What? Yeah, hmm. I don't know. Hmm. These are the questions that we will not be covering in this podcast. No, we will not. And uh, we probably won't start a separate podcast about it because we're busy enough with this one. Yeah, no. And also there's a good one that is already doing next gen um, episode by episode. What's oh, yeah, that's uh, The Greatest Generation. I've actually, so I've been listening to their back episodes. They actually started up back in 2016. So they've moved out of Next Gen and moved on. They went through DS9 and then they went to Voyager after that. So anyway, I'm going through the Next Gen episodes, but it's a good wow, podcast. That is that is dedication to go episode by episode through all three of those. Um, That's a lot of Star Trek. It is a lot of Star Trek. And honestly, there's a lot of episodes in there that are bad. Oh, Star Trek is one of my favorite things in this world, and its hit-miss ratio is just, like, atrocious. Yes, it's it's, it's, it's not great. (laughs) Anywho, this is a Zelda podcast, not a Star Trek podcast. The name of that podcast is Sacred Realms, and it's a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can always head on over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod. You get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. The people on that Patreon page who subscribed to the Big Goron Sword tier in the month of May will be receiving their chic trading cards in the mail uh, in the next two weeks. Matt's getting those out. so Yes, I am. And the June design uh, will be uh, unveiled soon, so look forward to that. Oh, and just a note about that, because somebody did ask me, um, the way that that's going to work is the trading card we do every month is going to be uh, designed around whatever game we're currently playing. So um, obviously the first few that you guys got were Ocarina of Time based. We're moving into Link's Awakening starting next week. So uh, you can look forward to some Link's Awakening goodness from your trading card designs coming up soon. So that should be a good time. Don't know what I'm what I'm going to do yet exactly, but uh, we'll figure it out. It's going to be... It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. 
Yeah, and so uh, we'll do a quick shout out here for a review that someone left for us. Uh, Revisiting Hyrule with Friends by Pi2071. Anyone who is a Zelda fan will love this podcast, coming from a phenomenal fan and his passion for the franchise. It's a pleasure biting into each one of these podcasts and listening to the love and fun of playing Zelda. Lyndon and Matt make it a warm place, as if you're next to the fire with Link. Cutting into discussions about best bosses, memories of dungeons, and playthroughs of Ocarina, you will find as much lore as any when you jump into these podcasts. So... Thank you for that review. Uh, if you guys leave us one, maybe we'll pick it at random and uh, read it here on the show and give you a bit of a shout out. So thank you, guys. We have uh, over 50 five star reviews now, um, and all of them are very kind and and they warm our hearts. Yep. Y'all done good. We appreciate the nice things that you have to say, except for all of you who keep telling me to pronounce Navi correctly. And I'm not going to do that. But sh- the good news is. You yeah. don't have to listen to it anymore yeah, after, because after we're this done week, with that. After this week, it doesn't matter one tiny little bit. No, not at all. <laughs> oh, that's certainly been a journey. It's been a fun one to go on with. There have that. been so many things about um, replaying Ocarina of Time. Um, just, you know, everyone has in their mind, I think, who, who experienced this game at a young age the way that, you know, we all did, or at least you and I did. Um, it's It's like... Um, it's like remembering grandma's cake or pie or like, or, you know, some favorite food or recipe or, mm-hmm. you know, some memory that you have. It's just, it's, just, it's always bigger, better, you know, tastier, whatever in your mind. Right. And then when you go and replay it, one of the great things about Ocarina is that so much of it really holds up to that, uh, to that image you have in your mind of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's been such a fun experience um, revisiting that and replaying the game and really seeing that the hype, you know, that Ocarina of Time has is very, you know, deserved. And it's not just it's not just rose colored glasses. Right. Yeah. So this actually is a pretty good segue into the meat of what this episode is going to be. Um, and you can expect an episode like this to take place after we finish a game for the rest of the time that we're doing this podcast. Um, it's going to function more as a recap episode. And once we've got more than one game under our belts, we're also going to have an ongoing ranking of where Matt and I feel like each game um, stacks up against the other ones that we've played. For just this episode, obviously, we cannot do that. But uh, what we are going to do is have a general kind of recap. We are not going to be doing the Sacred Realms rundown. We'll get back to that next week with Link's Awakening. Um, instead, what we're going to have is the Sacred Realms recap, which, as you might have guessed, is split into a uh, nice and even six parts. As always. As always. I don't know why I landed on six, but it just seems like it's working. So I feel like we should have landed on seven because like that's, you know, like a generally. Well, you know, there are six sages. That's true. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, cool. Cool. Okay. So this is the Sacred Realms recap where we uh, we talk about our general feelings of the game that we just finished playing. We put a nice tidy bow on things and. you know, prepare to say goodbye to a real one. Oh, yeah. Saying saying goodbye. It's uh, so one thing about me, um, I don't like series finales like I don't they make me sad, like uh, all good things. Part one and two, since we were just talking about Star Trek, this is top of mind for me. Mm-hmm. I have watched all good things. Part one and two, you know, two, three 
times, however many times I've, but not as many times as I've actually watched the next gen all the way through. There are times when I have watched next gen or Deep Space Nine or or any TV show really, and just not watched the series finale because they they kind of make me sad. So mm, yeah. um, you know, luckily this is not a series finale, just a season finale. Did well, you ever finish Battlestar Galactica? I actually did not. Okay. I kind of I think it was at the point that um Adama, the son, um, married Starbuck and then they got divorced and he got really fat. And um I think it was that season. <laughs> they never actually got like, married. I think they had a fling and then oh. he got fat and then the Cylons came. Dude, you you bounced it the best part of the show. I mean, that's what I've heard, but that was so long ago I don't like remember okay. it. Very anyway, regardless. Well. Regardless. Yeah, no, not not important. Um so yeah, th- this will be it'll be like saying goodbye to a friend, right? You know, we've, we've spent the last 11 weeks now um, with Ocarina of Time in a much more introspective is not the right word. Analytical. Yeah, that, that yes. Um, Analytical, you know, we've done a deep dive um, and spent a lot of hours um, not only playing the game, but then thinking about the game, writing plot recaps, writing, talking about the game, game, talking with guests. Like we've, We've devoted quite a lot of hours of our life to Ocarina of Time at this point. And uh, now we're going to tie it all up and send it on its way and maybe shoot a fire arrow at it and have, give it a Viking funeral, right? <laughs> I love how you put that. We're going to cast Din's fire. Yes. And, yeah. and, and then sail it down the river yeah, as we, as we be, wave fondly. Yeah. Um, well, you know what, Matt? The, um, the way that this is going to work, I'm sure, is that on Tuesday at Nintendo's E3 announcement, they're going to they're going to announce like a Zelda 3D anniversary collection for the switch. And it's going to include a fully remastered Ocarina of Time. Well, that would and just then, be our luck, wouldn't it? Right. And then, <laughs> and then we're going to be like, well, crap. I guess we got to replay it again at some point. <laughs> Not anytime yeah. soon. <laughs> that would be a bonus episode. Yes. Not a whole season. No. Yeah. No. Anywho. Uh, OK, so let's get into the Sacred Realms recap. Part one is going to cover the plot where we just kind of talk generally about our thoughts of the plot and story of this game. And I know last week we said that we were going to have a little discussion about the important the lore importance of what happens in Ocarina of Time. So we'll we'll fit that in here as well. But, um, you know, I I love the story of this game. Honestly, it's uh, it's very simple even by modern Zelda standards. I mean, obviously stuff like Skyward Sword especially has uh, a lot more layering of character arcs and and narrative beats. Uh, you know, Groose. Yeah, Groose. Um, so our, our true hero. Uh, the Pompadour. Yeah. His <laughs> magnificent. Hair, magnificent hair on that one. Um, yeah, but this one, it, it tells a simple story, but that that doesn't mean it's not telling an effective story like i think that i think that this narrative lands um in a really special way it's it's just non-specific enough um and just uh, i don't want to use the word cliched but just classic enough of a hero's tale to to really work you know um matt what do you think yeah i mean i i totally agree you almost have two heroes journeys here, right? Like obviously you have your lung, your young link journey where, um, it's a little less, it's, I don't know about less defined, but the, the goal is different. Right. And Lyndon just totally smacked that table. So if that comes up in the sorry audio file, um, 
it wasn't me this time. He always blames me. I ruined it all. <laughs> um, as child link, it's, you know, preventative, right? Like we need to save Hyrule before anything bad happens. And and one of the things that I find kind of almost the most compelling about this story is that by doing that, you actually cause the problem that you then have to solve as adult link. Right. Um, that's not totally normal for most hero stories, right? Like most of the time they're coming in and trying to fix a problem from the get go, um, not causing said problem. Right. So I think that's really cool. Um, then the, the, the way that the story goes back and forth and uses, you know, time travel and everything as a, as a plot device to further different points in the game, um, is very effective and, and entertaining and interesting. So, yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, and, and going off of that point, I think one of the, one of the true triumphs of this game is the fact that geographically speaking, um, this is not, I mean, it's far from the largest Zelda map, right? Oh, like, for sure. Like, you know, they, they do a good job of making it feel large. Um, but, it really just breaks down to a series of kind of self-contained areas that are not that big in and of themselves. What's nice is that this game keeps all of them feeling fresh by doing exactly what you're talking about. By using the time travel mechanic, it allows um, it allows Nintendo to make them each feel distinct and different between the child timeline and the adult timeline. So you're essentially able to double up without it feeling repetitive, right? Right. And I think the only um, exclusion there is going to be Garuda's... Um, valley or or you know this the colossus the desert colossus because you really don't visit that as a child except for going straight back into the desert colossus as a child and yeah. helping naburu but um which we talk a lot about in episode nine um so it's i, I think you're totally right uh being able to take each area and use utilize it at least twice um it is a very clever way of of making um, more areas with with the limited space and capacity that the Nintendo 64 had mm -hmm. as a console. So to me, any story that uses time travel as its, as its main plot device has got to justify um, the decision to use time travel, uh, you know, by executing it in meaningful ways. Right. And do you feel like this game did that? Absolutely. I, th I think, and this is going to lead us, I think into our discussion of the split timelines, but um, the use of time travel can be campy in a lot of ways um, and, and different. So like, I think about dishonored maybe um, where it's like just very brief um, traveling, you know, within, I think it's a 32nd rewind or something. Um, it's not impactful to the story, right? It's more of just a, an ability. Whereas Ocarina of time, it, like it's almost entire plot revolves around time travel, at least in some way. And they execute it very well. The, um, the lore behind how it is accomplished makes sense in world. There's a lot of consistency within uh, the Zelda universe for how, how all of this takes place. And one of the main things about world building is making sure that the games or the TV shows or whatever you're doing, it follows its own rule sets, right? Like you're not breaking your own rules and the, the time travel within Ocarina of Time keeps to that very well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so as Matt mentioned, this is probably a pretty good time to have a discussion about the the lore ramifications of time travel in this game. So at the end of the game, what we experience is Adult Link is able to defeat Ganon. Zelda and the Sages are able to seal him into the Sacred Realm, which becomes the Evil Realm because um, he's stuck in there. Uh, and then Link, the character we've been playing, goes back in time to reclaim the childhood that he wasn't able to have. That all sounds simple enough. What's not simple is all the different branching narratives that come off of all of these things, um, which in some, in some ways is an interesting retcon by Nintendo, because I don't think they planned for that to be the case uh, when they created this game. But one thing that kind of, one thing that happens a lot with Zelda games is people trying to figure out where each one lines up in a particular timeline. Like, okay, this happens in Minish Cap. Where does that line up with Ocarina of Time? And obviously Majora's Mask is right after Ocarina of Time. But what's the deal with Wind Waker? Because it's the ocean. And they talk about things that happened in Ocarina of Time. But how long after that is it? And all of that, yada, yada. So... Basically, what happened is Nintendo sat down, and I think this became official in Hyrule Historia, which is uh, was published by Dark Horse Comics and is a great book. If you don't have a copy of Hyrule Historia, you should really get one. Um, I, I feel like they shouldn't be too hard or expensive to track down. But uh, anywho, so basically what Nintendo came out and said is that all of the time travel shenanigans that take place in this game created three distinct timelines within the Zelda universe. And those timelines are predicated on three different circumstances that happened in this game. One of which well, so the first timeline we're going to call the child timeline. And that is all the events that take place when link comes back in time as his young self and warns Zelda about Ganondorf. Because in the cutscene at the end of the game, Zelda is back in the castle courtyard. She clearly has not been chased out of the castle by Ganondorf, so none of that's happened yet. Ganondorf is still scheming against the king. And what we can imply is that Child Link, after Navi goes away, after he puts the Master Sword back, goes to young Zelda and warns her about Ganondorf. They go and tell the king, and then Ganondorf is arrested before he can overthrow um, the kingdom of Hyrule. So that child timeline and all the events that take place from there lead us to games like, obviously, Majora's Mask, which is a direct sequel, but also Twilight Princess and uh, I think Breath of the Wild takes place along the child timeline. Um, there's there's less games that branch off of that one than there are some of the others. But uh, yeah, so in that one, Hyrule goes on and exists as a prosperous kingdom for a very long time. Um, Ganondorf never becomes Ganon. Uh, right. Yeah, he he never has the opportunity to transform into his monster self. And but, you would also assume that the Triforce is never broken into its component pieces. Yeah, the Triforce still exists whole in the Sacred Realm, I guess. Yeah. In this timeline. So, okay, so that's timeline number one, child timeline. Um, timeline number two is the adult timeline, which follows from all of the events that take place in adult link uh, in the adult link parts of the game. So obviously um, that all still exists in its own timeline because we've been there. Those people are real. Nothing that child link does when he goes back in time is going to erase that. So uh, the, the ruined version of Hyrule that we leave behind uh, after we defeat Ganon 
at the end of the game is what starts off the adult timeline. And the games that fit into that timeline are going to be Wind Waker, Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks. Um, What you're supposed to imply is that uh, even though we save the world for the most part at the end of that game, that version of Hyrule has has you know suffered damage at the hands of Ganondorf and then Ganon, and eventually is flooded by the goddesses and it turns into the Great Sea mm-hmm. and and all that. So that's the adult timeline. Um, then the third timeline is, is the darkest. The darkest, which is this is where Nintendo takes us on a bit of a ride. Um, Nintendo posits that a third timeline exists. Which uh, <laughs> branches off from the assumption that Link failed to kill Ganon in the final battle. Link falls to Ganon and is defeated. And then when Link falls, Zelda and the sages are still able to seal Ganon into the sacred realm, what becomes the Dark World. Uh, the seal is imperfect uh, because he wasn't defeated by the Hero of Time. And so the kingdom of Hyrule kind of gradually falls into ruin from that point, And Ganon keeps getting out to try and come and get the Triforce, which has been split apart by the events of this game. Mm-hmm. And the games that exist in the downfall timeline are going to be uh, mostly your classic Zeldas. I mean, yep. a legend of Zelda. Adventure. Or, uh, so it's a link to the past, the Oracle games, Link's Awakening, the legend of Zelda and the adventure of Link. Yes. So most of those top down games are what exists in the downfall timeline. So, yeah, there's your three basic timelines. I think people seem pretty split on where Breath of the Wild fits in with those. Um, I think the general consensus is that it's at the very, 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 very far end of the child timeline. But regardless, so uh, it's not the kind of thing that matters a ton. Um, as you're playing individual Zelda games, because unless one is a direct sequel to the one before it, they mostly don't talk about all this stuff. They'll they'll kind of reference it obliquely mm-hmm. in cutscenes or whatever. Obviously, in like A Link Between Worlds, they reference the events of A Link to the Past, and in Wind Waker, they reference the events of what Adult Link did in Ocarina of Time. But for the most part, they don't spend a whole lot of time talking about it. Um, but just an interesting little thing. And uh, going forward from here, as we start playing a new, every time we start playing a new game, we'll let you guys know which timeline that it falls into. Mm-hmm. So, just and for- and like the interesting thing here is that um, there are only two games in the canonical timeline that precede ocarina and that's skyward sword and minish cap um those two games are earlier in the timeline skyward sword being the absolute earliest and minish cap falling somewhere in between the two um so ocarina of time is one of the earlier um is one of the earlier games within uh the within the canonical uh, series. So that's really cool. Um, And then we split off here, obviously, like Linda was just talking about. Yeah. Okay. So that's the, that's the big picture behind the scenes plot action. Before we move on in the sacred realms recap, as part of our plot discussion, I want to talk real quick about the three main characters of this game, Mm -hmm. which are Zelda, Ganondorf and Link. Link. Um, Zelda of Ocarina of Time. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about her? So it's hard for me to separate Zelda and Sheik, right? Like you spend the majority of this game interacting with Sheik and Zelda is this, you know, thing you're trying to uh, achieve or the princess you're trying to rescue. We need to find Zelda when she's like right in front of you 
the whole time, <laughs> the whole time, uh, in the craters of volcanoes, apparently immune to fire and also, you know, all these <laughs> other things that she right. can do. Jumping well, the, from massive heights and well, yeah. that's what's great about Zelda in this game, though, because all all the Zelda games prior to this one, Zelda was very much just a plot device. Yeah, um, not very present in the game, just kind of uh, very much like a, a background influence that you have to rescue. Mm-hmm. And this is the first game in the series where Zelda really takes on a um, a very active role in right. the, in the narrative from beginning to end. Right, and I think that th- that is. Very, very cool, especially the way that they do it by introducing Zelda as Sheik and having Sheik be, you know, your ally and someone who teaches you all of the warp songs, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, is obviously like a very powerful person within Hyrule. Just the things that he is able to do sure. are are really incredible. Um, then even beyond that, Zelda has been influencing the game since the beginning, right? She's the one that charges you to get the spiritual stones. She's the one who tells you how to open the temple of time. She's the one mm, that like yeah. is pushing you along on this quest. She, at the beginning, she, you're not trying to rescue her. You're trying to help her. Right. Right. And then at the end, um, she shows herself to be, you know, the chief of the sages, I think is how she, how she made, how she said it. Essentially a seventh sage. Right. And, basically. And, and the greatest of them. Yes. And so Zelda goes from, we have to rescue her from from Ganondorf, which we we do. Uh, to she's actually incredibly powerful, and she's the one that really casts Ganondorf into the evil realm at, yeah. at the end of the game. Right. Well, that's that's uh, probably the first. Maybe this happened in Link to the Past. I don't know. But what one thing that is talked very much about Zelda throughout the entire legend of zelda series history is that her her big power is the power of sealing it's sealing magic yeah and she uses that against ganondorf ganon whoever quite a lot throughout the series and and this is i mean that's definitely her big moment in this game yeah i think i I do think this is the first instance of it though i can't remember i don't remember if you kill ganon in a link to the past or if the sages or the maidens or whoever they you rescue people in a link to the past and Zelda's the last one. I don't remember if you kill Ganon or if they seal him away again. I, okay. Yeah. I just don't remember. Hey, listen. Hey, ye old editing Mike here. Just wanted to jump in real fast and say that I did a little bit of research on this. And Matthew is in fact, correct. Zelda does not use sealing magic on Ganon in a link to the past. From what I can tell, we just kill that guy dead. So there you go. Yeah. Anyway. So it's, uh, so Zelda Sheik, really two characters, the same character, however you want to look at it. Good character in this in this game. For Definitely. Sure. I'm curious as we go forward, because in my mind, the Zelda characters that I recall enjoying the most in games mm-hmm. are or, or in Zelda games um, are this one, then Tetra from Wind Waker mm-hmm. and then Zelda from Skyward Sword. Those are the ones that I recall having like the coolest in-game relationships with. And yeah. I'm curious as we go forward to see how how this Zelda stacks up against those. But yeah, definitely, definitely a great character. Good use of mm-hmm. um, good use of Zelda as a recurring character in this game. I liked it quite a lot. Um, moving to the other side of the coin, Ocarina of Time's Ganondorf slash Ganon. I'm um, not as much of a fan in this one as I am maybe 
let's say, of Demise, who really is the first incarnation of Ganondorf or um, Twilight Princesses. Ganondorf, I think we're a little bit better, more fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I do like about Ganondorf in this game is he is almost taking on the role of a puppet master from behind the scenes for most of the game. He's not so much like right in your face opposing you the whole time. He's actually like letting you go a- a- along your quest so that he can take advantage of it at the right time. Yeah, you like, only you only smart. meet him twice. Yeah. He's a smart villain in this one, right? Mm-hmm. So, I feel like that is interesting. Um he's he's not as present as I think I would have as as I personally like enjoy in some other games, right? Where he's Yeah. he's more of he feels more imminent in other games. In this one, he just feels kind of looming, which I don't personally like as much. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um, so I think I agree Ganondorf as a character, as a, as a man, because in a lot of his appearances, he really is just beast Ganon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the, one of the few games where you get interaction with the sentient Ganondorf individual. And, uh, you know, I think he's cool, but I think that there are shades of his character and motivations and backgrounds that get sketched in a little bit more thoroughly later in other games. Yeah. Um, like his his whole takeover Hyrule plot makes not a lot of sense in this game. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just f- not rushed, but there's not it's not fleshed out. There's not much. a lot there. Yeah, we learn a lot more about him in like Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. But uh, mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, I mean, fine. Perfectly serviceable. Um, yeah, he, he's a bad guy. He's, yeah, he's he's a good bad guy, he's, I guess. He's He's got big bad guy feels. <laughs> yes. And Ganon. You know, we only get the one interaction with Ganon, um, but I will say. Uh, but this is like the dawn of Ganon. It, it is. And it's also the coolest boss intro like ever. I is so oh, cool. Gosh, I just and I, I meant to talk about this last week. I forgot to to really get into the music of the final Ganon fight. And I'll be intercutting that in here, by the way. Finally. Basically, the entire atmosphere around that final Ganon fight. I mean, in a lot of the older games, he can really come across as just like this kind of mindless, kind of ridiculous looking pig beast. And I mean, that is what like that is what he's portrayed as here. Just a mindless incarnation of uh, the wrath of Ganondorf fed by the Triforce of Power. But he's so imposing. The character model is great. There's lightning in the background. There's a circle of flame. He's just, he keeps coming and coming and coming. And he's fast and he's ferocious and just like, oh man. He's got those giant blades. Like, yeah, I, I mean, they like, I think they're supposed to be daggers, but each of them are twice the length of your body. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I love this portrayal of Ganon. Um, I think that 
Ganon the Beast gets done a lot in a lot of games, and I would say it's got actually about a 50% hit-miss ratio for me in terms of its effectiveness, right? I like, think that's fair. I I don't love Beast Ganon's portrayal in Twilight Princess. Um, I don't love Beast Ganon's portrayal in Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild. I, um, I, that's probably my least favorite, to I be li- honest. I like Calamity Ganon as a concept, um, but I don't enjoy that final boss fight when... Or, mm. yeah, I mean, look, I love everything in Breath of the Wild, but I think the final boss fight is the weakest part of it, honestly. Totally um, agree. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think this, in, the, in you know, of all the appearances of Ganon the Beast throughout the series, I think this is definitely one of the better ones, if not the best one. I think I would have to personally say the best. Cool. Um, all right. Well, that just leaves us one more character to talk about. Our silent protagonist. Our, well, our plucky not, hero. Not exactly silent. He does a lot of yelling. Hey, hey, hey. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yuck, yuck, yeah a lot of that oh yeah Uh, a a lot so okay what do we think about the link of ocarina of time Uh, i have such a hard time like putting feelings to each link um especially the early renditions of link and the top-down versions of link where the emotion is not super there um when you have skyward sword link and even twilight princess link um the the facial expressions are help you engage with the character a lot more. Um, I don't love protagonists that don't speak. Um, I'm a big RPG fan. Like I love mass effect. I love dragon age. I love all of those types of games where you really play as your character and you, you make your character who, who you want them to be. So having, having a protagonist who doesn't have any voice lines, even, you know, scripted voice lines right where you can select uh and it's not voiced maybe um i have a harder time engaging with so the way that i view link especially in ocarina of time and in the top downs is he really is just um me in in the game right like i am doing these things yeah definitely definitely um now how, how do i feel about him as a hero uh he is I think probably one of the least powerful versions of Link. He doesn't have too many magic spells. He doesn't. He starts out really with just regular human strength until he gets the silver gauntlets. He's not doing anything crazy. Sure. Um, But I think that makes him almost the most brave of all of the Links because he's really tackling some freaking terrifying challenges and monsters and um really going through hell and back yeah the link of this game has no formal combat training of any None. kind i mean like no. breath of the wild link clearly is like you know yeah. was a knight of hyrule and the best knight of hyrule yeah yeah and if you've played like age of calamity then like you see exactly how much formal combat training yeah <laughs> that and, link has. and even skyward sword link he was a graduate of the knight academy i mean twilight yeah. twilight princess link at the very least had some muscles built up from being a farmer for his whole life right and he had his mentor who taught him some basic sword fighting yeah skills yeah, sure, russell sure but ocarina of time link wakes up in the forest one day in his little ideal world where he's occasionally chucking some hay or cutting some grass yeah. and the great deku tree is like hey go kill this giant spider that's inside of me yeah. and he's like does it 
So I think this version of Link is probably the most brave of all of the Links, and I appreciate that a lot about him. So this Link, uh, we see him in, I believe, two other games after this one. We see him as a main character in Majora's Mask, and then we see him as a side character in in Twilight Princess, Princess, where he is the hero's shade. Um, But this Link is known as the hero of time. Um, All You know, different Links have different names. This guy's the hero of time. And... uh, you know, I what you're saying is totally accurate when he doesn't speak at all, which Link never speaks in any game. But right. like he's a he's a silent. until he's the hero's shade he's when a, he's the hero's shade, he speaks. Well, sure. But uh, it it's up to the the viewer or the the player to put a lot of emotion and to assign feelings to him. And I think that there are sufficient things that happen in this game that you can kind of infer Link's emoting off of them, right? Yeah, there are, there are a few instances of shock or like uh, mostly shock, honestly. Yeah, but then there's a lot of times because Link may be silent, but Navi is not silent. And so a lot of times it gets left up to like, it's kind of the R2-D2 C-3PO relationship, right? Right. Where R2-D2 will be like, beep, 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 beep. And then, yeah, and then C-3PO is like, Oh, how could you say that? That's such a, how dare you use that language, right? And you're just like, what did R2-D2 say? You know? like, and it's kind of like that with, with Link and Navi, right? Where yeah. something will happen and Navi will talk about it and she will, um, you know, she'll make a comment about like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, don't look so glum or whatever. Well, so. and, and I feel like Tattle, who is the very in Majora's Mask, is an even... Am I saying that one right? Or are you going to tell me how to? How to yeah, it's because okay. t- it's tattle and tail. Yeah, so okay. tattle tail. Tattle. I'm aware. I was just making sure you weren't going to give me crap. Yeah. So tattle personifies Link even more than um, than Navi. Yeah, sure, sure. But I, I think that between and obviously we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit here because Matt and I we've played Majora's Mask almost as much as we as we played Ocarina of Time. For so, sure. And I and I really do consider them in some ways the same narrative. Like I don't. Uh, yeah. In, in accurate. My, in my mind, I don't separate Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask very much. No. Um, but uh, I do think that this Link, um, you know, he gets some good character work like he's involved in good character moments uh a little bit less in this game than in majora's mask but there are still examples in this game of big feels you know yeah so like the ones that pop immediately to mind are going to be you know the death of the deku tree um awakening saria as a sage um another that crazy dying hyrule castle guard moment. that was intense yeah uh, that was very intense. I think other than that, I'm trying to think of some other really crazy emotional moments. Maybe the one where Link is trying to defend Sheik after Sheik has been attacked by Bongo Bongo. Um, I thought that was a really cool character moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are really the only top ones I can think of. His his look of relief after defeating Ganondorf and escaping the castle that is then immediately replaced by, you know, shock and and not horror isn't the right word from, you know, obviously the resurrection of Ganon there. That was a good one. I don't think we're going to find anything in here that works quite as well as say, I don't know the cutscenes that happen where link like frees the spirit of, of like 
Darmani from the Goron mask or oh man those scenes or, are or when he like plays the song of healing for the Gibdo dude yeah in the, in the music box like I mean you know these are these are layers of emotional storytelling that Ocarina of Time just doesn't have doesn't have as much and Majora's Mask has in spades so again why we generally prefer Majora's Mask <laughs> oh, man, I mean I can't, can't wait to play that game I know okay cool but I think to tie this up right yeah the hero of time may be the most impactful version of Link, just like in general. I would say when most people think of Link, at least top three. Yeah. When most people say when you say, hey, uh, Link, a uh, character from Legend of Zelda in most people's minds, this is the version of Link that they are imagining. Yeah. I the, the hero totally, of time. Totally agree. The most famous version of Link, I would say. I, I would agree with that. Okay, cool. Okay, um, that we probably need to wrap up the plot section here because we have a lot more to talk about, and I don't want to spend too long on this. But uh, well, like I said, Lyndon, we're trying to put a bow on the Statue of Liberty here. Like, yeah, it's, right. like I said last week, we're trying to to tie up one of the most monumental pieces of video gaming history. Cool. So no, you're right. So it, so with that in mind, let's get a little bit more nitty gritty. Part two is going to be Matt and I each pick our favorite dungeon from this game now that we've played them all. And yep. um, Matt, I'm going to let you go first. Which which one was your favorite? I mean, everybody knows this. The Spirit Temple didn't change after all the after the replay. It did not. OK, no. Cool. And give us a give us another quick recap on why why you feel like the Spirit Temple is your favorite over the other temples in the game. So I feel like the spirit temple not only has the best ambiance, it has the best, like it's the one with the most prominent music, right? It sets the stage for what that temple is very well. As soon as you walk in the front door, you feel exactly what you're supposed to feel throughout the whole temple. Um, It has the right mixture of enemies and puzzles. In my opinion, I feel like the shadow temple um, has too many trash mob enemies and the puzzles are not fun. Um, and then the water temple is the exact opposite direction where it has almost no enemies and way too many puzzles that are also very not fun. Uh Um, so I feel like the spirit temple takes the best of all of the rest of the dungeons as far as, you know, combining combat versus puzzles versus good items and like meshes it into one really nice package. The boss fight in the spirit temple is amazing. This introduces iron knuckles, which are the hardest non-boss enemy in the game who and i like fighting them a lot sure um also this i may is, i maintain that your garden variety stalfos is a harder fight than an iron knuckle maybe button. for you just for you when you're playing with three hearts those stalfos <laughs> are really dangerous <laughs> um where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. Also, the Spirit Temple is the only dungeon that you interact with as both Child Link and Adult Link. So it also ties in the main mechanic of Ocarina of Time, that whole time travel thing we were just talking about. It ties it into this dungeon as well. Yeah. So uh, it, it pulls everything great about Ocarina of Time and puts it into one dungeon. And it's a lot of fun. What I think I respond to, because Spirit Temple is still not my number one, but one thing that I respond to very much in in your whole little critique you just gave is the fact that of all the dungeons in this game, I think the Spirit Temple is the only one where you walk in and you get a big musical crescendo, mm-hmm. right? Oh, like, yeah. It was, it was a common point of feedback throughout our playthrough that the music in the dungeons in this game was mostly atmospheric and it was not very in your face, but mm-hmm. the spirit temple is very like, bum, bum. Yeah. It's yeah. It's uh, yeah. 
it's very noticeable right from go and it does set a very strong tone Mm -hmm. so okay that's great um my number one i do think i still have to say is the forest temple yeah I, I mean, that's my number two easily. Yeah. Um, it is just, it's got, I love, I love the spooky art museum vibe. I love that it has kind of a, a weird little story arc for its, for its mini boss, right? The Poe sisters, you know, yeah. you kill them all and then their sister is sad and then you have to kill her. You just wiped out a whole Poe family. So I mean, it's sad though. It is like, a little sad. If yeah. anyone killed you, I feel like I'd have to try to kill them back. Well, thank you. I Jackson, and I don't know. We'll see. We can take or miss. Mm. I'm just kidding because he's going to listen to this and be hurt by that. Jackson, if anyone <laughs> tried to kill you, I would definitely mess him up. Yeah, for sure. So Forest Temple, I think has got, um, I think is probably still the most challenging temple in the game. Really? Uh, yeah. A lot of people would say the Water Temple, but I think a lot of the changes that they made to the Water Temple um, in the 3DS version kind of solve for some of the difficulties people had with it. I think that the forest temple really is, um, it's got more moments that can trip you up in its progression, right? Like the whole bendy corridors versus not bendy corridors. Certain doors are only accessible if the corridor is bent one way. Um, the forest temple just puts you on your back foot, you know, like you, you feel very uncomfortable in those rooms because, like it's clear that something is wrong Spati- mm-hmm. spatially. It, yeah, it's not correct. It's spatially you know? distorted for sure. It also is the first introduction of small keys that you have to like worry about finding. Right. Yeah. So I think in the forest temple, there is a very clear progression of like moments that you are supposed to backtrack and then moments that it'll really trip you up if you were not supposed to backtrack, but you missed a key and then you yeah. have to backtrack anyway. Like, um, I just think it's a really, really solidly designed dungeon. And of course, it does have my favorite boss fight in the entire game at the yeah. end of it. So I love the Phantom Ganon boss fight so yeah. much. I I I do not disagree with you at all at, at, on any of those points. I think you're absolutely correct. Um, in fact, I think I spent more time backtracking in the forest temple than I even did in the water temple because of the twisty corridors. And I forgot for a long time that you could untrigger the eye, the the silver eye yep. with the arrow. Yep. Like I forgot that you could do that. I thought it was a one way switch. And then I was like, you know what? I think I have to do this. So I'm just going to give it a shot. And it worked and lucky for me. Right. But so, um, okay. I'm going to choose this moment to segue into best item in the game because it's very much relevant to what we're talking about. Right. This very moment. I mean, part. Okay. So part three, best item in the game. Hands down, no competition. It's the fairy bow. Well, obviously, the that's bow. The, the bow is the best item in almost every Zelda game. But that's not true, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, you don't think so? No, like, the, okay. A, a lot of games after this one, the bow becomes either less important to overall puzzle solving mm-hmm. or becomes less powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, this bow is just a, it's a straight up hit scan sniper weapon. Like it is. Yes. It, it, it does incredible damage. No, uh, projectile drop off whatsoever. True. It is the best bow in any Zelda game and true. You use it the most after getting it true of any, bow. you also get it earlier in the game than almost every other game except twilight princess. And I'm not necessarily counting the bow from, uh, Breath of the Wild in in this whole discussion because it just Maybe, like yeah because they're the breakable bows and it's not a bow it's, it's just like it, ser- it's, it it's serves kind of a different purpose and it's yeah. very much just like generalized to combat and anyway um but anyway yeah I think of of main items that you get in a chest in a dungeon the fairy uh, bow obviously the fairy bow is the best item in this game for sure worst item in the game um hmm. 
my first blush reaction is I want to say the Megaton Hammer. Right. Um, Not mine. You know what? I think I'm actually going to have to go with the Pegasus boots. You mean the, the, hover boots? the hover boots? Yeah. Oh, that's actually a good one. I didn't think about that. Yeah, you, you literally use them <laughs> like twice. Yeah. In the Shadow Temple, and then you can use them in the Spirit Temple to make some things easier, and then you have to use them in Ganon's Castle. Yeah, they sound really cool, but really the amount of time you spend using them for anything is very You don't small. even use them in the Shadow Temple boss fight. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, so my first blush reaction was also Megaton Hammer. Then I thought about the boomerang that you get as child link. <laughs> and how you literally never used it again after ever. You, no, yeah. literally never. Like well, you would have. You would have had to use it to grab some Sculptula tokens. Well, yeah, okay. As- True. I did. I had to use it when I was hunting Sculptulas. But like other than and they do have some interesting puzzles around it in the spirit temple. There's one puzzle in the spirit temple where you have to use the boomerang to hit a uh one of the diamonds yeah so yeah like literally uh <laughs> kind of a useless item yeah okay i mean <laughs> that's fair i guess um i mean far from my favorite boomerang in a zelda absolutely game. i mean it's nothing compared to link's awakening yeah boomerang. we'll talk we'll talk more about that in the next game <laughs> most op boomerang of all time yeah that boomerang just lays waste to everything <laughs> It's crazy. The scorched Earth response. Throw yeah. the boomerang. Right. Okay. All right. Part four. Best music because this one I feel like oh, we're gonna. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. Ah. Jeez. Okay. I mean, I, we can we do top three instead of best because I have I'm having a hard time picking my favorite. Can we do top three? Yes, but you have to rank them. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. All right, uh, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna let, give Matt some time to think about this because I sprung this on him just a little bit. My favorite mm-hmm. piece of music in this entire game has got to be the last battle music with yes the the, the soundtrack that's going when you're fighting Ganon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's awesome. It is yeah. so incredibly hype. Um, it's just got big final battle feels, and I'm all about it. Yeah. Light, totally agree. Lightning crashing down in the background, and then you know the the music kind of crescendos when when like it, like it's a bunch of things happening at one time that contribute to a cool sensory experience. Like the music cuts in, his the title pops up, just Ganon. He knocks the sword out of your hands. The fire, you know, comes up. Oh, it's yeah. just a man. It's a it's a whole moment, and I love the way that it's presented. It's very cinematic. I totally, totally, totally agree. So that's number one for me. Um, Number two for me, I'm going to have to go with uh, Gyudo Valley. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Speaks for itself. I mean, uh, what, obviously. what else is there to say about that? It's amazing. Iconic. Yeah. Very iconic. Mm-hmm. And then number three, uh, this one gets forgotten I th- a lot, I think, mm-hmm. because of the Ganon boss fight music. But for my number three, I'm actually going to go with the Ganondorf boss fight music.
It's got this cool kind of marimba sounding feel. Uh-huh. It's, uh, I don't know. Um, that boss fight itself is not super challenging, but the music does contribute to a really cool feel, especially in that room. You know, it, it has a very, um, it has a very, we're fighting the big bad feel yeah. to it. And it, it, it is intense in a very different way than, um, than the Ganon boss fight music. I don't know. I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love the Ganondorf boss <coughs> fight music. It actually has a great rendition in Hero mm-hmm. of Time, which, um, again, if you did not listen to our bonus episode, if you're not if you're not sub to the Patreon, you didn't listen to the bonus episode with Eric Buckles last week. One, do that because that conversation is great. A lot of fun. Um, but also go listen to Hero of Time. It's free to stream on Spotify. Uh, it is such a great mm-hmm. musical rendition of this game's soundtrack. And um, and the Ganondorf boss fight music does have a uh, they, they do riff on that in, in yeah. that album. It's great. And, and the, their takes on many of the songs within Ocarina of Time are just fantastic. Their rendition that combines. So they do a rendition of every main area slash dungeon in the game. And the one that they did for the Gerudo Valley slash Spirit Temple, where they actually combine them together in an orchestral arrangement is absolutely incredible. Guys, seriously, it's so it, good. It can't be said enough. Listen to Hero of Time. Yes, yeah, it is so, so good. good. <laughs> okay, so I guess it's my turn, and yes. I guess bef- before I go on, I'll, I'll respond to your three your three picks there, um, because the two of them are on mine, obviously. So uh, totally agree with all of your picks. Um, Ganon Ganondorf boss fight music. Um, it is good. I like it. It's uh, there's. There's the right feel to it, the timpani that comes in, then there's the trumpet riff, and then there's the da 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 Like, it, it flows well for a fight, yeah. and I, I do like it. Yeah. Um, okay, so my my three. Uh, number one, I am also going to pick Ganon, uh, Ganon Fight. It's cool. just amazing. So incredible uh, for all the reasons you said. Nothing to add. Uh, number two will be um, Spirit Temple. Okay. Spirit Temple music. Um, I could literally, so I, I, I meditate occasionally, just I think it's good for mental health. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we'll play the Spirit Temple music while while doing so. Good, it's a uh, good pick. Yeah, no, it's very good. It's hey, very, yes. You know what you need to listen to sometime while you're doing that? Uh, what? The Journey soundtrack. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I love about it, right? Is Journey is another one of our favorite games. Yeah. And like this section of the game this this um, soundtrack mm-hmm. just really evokes the same kind of emotions yeah. as a lot of the journey soundtrack so i i vibe with it i guess we'll, we'll say yeah definitely and then obviously number three uh Gerudo valley again same thing yeah like it's just what, too, what, it's what too is there iconic. to add yeah, yeah it's like. too iconic not to have <laughs> right it's it's always tempting to put it as number one just because of how iconic it is yeah but you know since this is our partial job hobby whatever we have to be a little more objective about things sure so objectively speaking i think the ganon boss fight is better i do want to give two honorable mentions because a lot of the music in this game is so great and For there, sure. there are two pieces that i really feel like are getting left out here that mm-hmm. deserve some recognition yeah one is the kokiri forest theme absolutely because that first moment that you walk out of link's house 
No, that well, that's, 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 that's the lost. Song. That's the lost woods. But I'm talking the yeah. Kokiri Forest theme. Oh, okay. When uh, you when you walk out your house, it's like dun 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 dun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. I associate. It's happy. It is. I associate the cutting in of that theme, walking out of Link's house for the first time, with starting an adventure so much. Just just because, like you, that's that's the first thing you get when you start this game, you know. Um, and I'll always have a lot of nostalgia for that. And then my other honorable mention has got to be just for the 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 Ocarina of Time theme in the yeah the the The, intro theme of this game. Um, I think we said in our intro episode just how much we respect. Koji Kondo going for a musical aesthetic mm-hmm. that was very different from the traditional Zelda overworld theme. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's really night and day. They they have completely different feels and vibes, but it's it's masterful. It's such it, a great yeah. theme. Totally. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about many of the ocarina songs as well. Like the, the warp songs or just the songs that you learn throughout the game. Zelda's lullaby is obviously one of the most iconic pieces of, of, of Zelda history because there are themes. So Zelda's lullaby becomes a theme for many other pieces of music in other games. Right? So, uh, Midna's song, whenever you're trying to save Midna and twilight Princess, is I believe Zelda's lullaby backwards. Um, then there are there are strings of Zelda's lullaby within uh, the Ballad of the Goddess. Well, there that's are, just that's just Zelda's theme. I mean that existed, exactly that existed before this game, and it exists in almost every Zelda game after this. It did. It was in Link to the Past. Oh, I I've never played Link to the Past, so I didn't know that. Yeah, um, I do agree that a lot of the Ocarina songs are really nice. Obviously, you know Saria's, they're not iconic. Saria's right? song, Song of Storms, all you know, yeah. they're all great. A lot of the adult ones don't stick with me much. Yeah, I I like the Bolero of Fire, and I like um, the, the Serenade of Water particularly. Mm-hmm. I can always kind of remember what that one sounds like. Yeah, but. and then I I like uh, the Shadow Temple. Um, what is it? Nocturne. Nocturne. Of yeah, I like the Nocturne of Shadow. Um, but you're right. They don't like. They, they don't stick with you as yeah. much as, as some of these other songs. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, like this is one of the more musical uh, games within yeah. within the Zelda uh, portfolio. And I think there's a lot of very solid picks. So um, mm-hmm. and I think we, we sussed out probably the top five. Yep, definitely. All right, let's move on to part four. Sorry, that was part four. Let's move on to part five, which is best side quest. Oh, OK. Uh, I have some strong feelings about my least favorite side quest. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that's not what this category is about. But, <laughs> no. you know, sure, why not? Tell us your least favorite side quest. Least favorite side quest is this freaking pose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and thank you for Play Along Pod, who had a wonderful conversation with me on Twitter uh, last this past week, who commiserated with me about the horror story of trying to hunt Pose. Because I'll tell you what, I will never go for a 100% completion playthrough of this game ever again because of those Pose. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's your least favorite. I mean, look, this is not one of the most side quest heavy there's really not games. there's not many side quests in the game yeah. at all. Um, I mean, Big Gorn Sword is obviously the mm-hmm. big one, you know, and and that's fun in its own way, if for no other reason than because the Big Gorn Sword is cool. For sure. I think mechanically, like if you're just looking at what the side quest is, not what it gives you, I think the the thieves training ground is probably the best. 
Well, that's basically just a mini dungeon too. So, but it's, it's still a side quest. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I, I'm saying that, that's why I think that yeah. is the best like actual side quest. But mm. it gives you the ice arrows, which I did not use a single time. Right. Like even after I got them, I just didn't use them. Um. So that kind of spoils it a bit. Big Goron Sword is great because the Big Goron Sword is great. The quest itself is yeah. not super fun. Um. Ooh, the Gerudo Archery. Yeah, that I mean the, that the horse horse riding it's, it's archery. A good, it's a lot of fun. It's a good time. It's a good time. Okay, mine. And granted, this is kind of a cop out because I'm inferring a lot of meaning in this one based on what happens in later games. But it is a thing that happens in this game, and I really enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's it's when you first play the uh, Saria song for the Skull King. Oh, I was thought you were going to say that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I, we talked about it a lot in that episode, but just. Is that the Skull Kid? That is the Skull Kid. It's from Majora's Mask. Yes. There's a line that he says in Majora's Mask that... You remind me of that fairy boy in the forest. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Oh, mind blown. So yeah, that first moment of Link meeting the Skull Kid. uh, Obviously, like I said, it has so much more meaning in a post-Majora's Mask world, but... I dig it. I love it. You well, know? obviously, like it, the, the the ties that bind these games together are incredible. Yeah. And I mean, you can infer a lot of it from the mask trading quest as well, because obviously the happy mask salesman is one of the four main characters within Majora's Mask as well. Yep, so definitely I think there's just so much that that ties these two games together in very, very meaningful ways that, you know, you and I both love. Yeah. And I think most people, you know, if they're aware of them, also also love. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so that takes us into part six, which is going to be our final thoughts, and then normally a ranking. Um, we can still, I think we can still rank this just based on like what our, our history with Zelda, right? I don't want to rank it against stuff that we played in the past. Okay, so we're just going to leave it at number one for now. Yeah. Okay. It, like, <laughs> Ocarina of Time, the current unchallenged number one, and I got to say this, you know, it's going to be some stiff competition to knock that one out of its number oh, one. Oh, absolutely. So I think this will stay at number one for a while. Well, de- really, depending on the games. That yeah, we de- play de- after de- this, depending right? on what gets voted on <laughs> going from here. But. Look, let me just level with all y'all. Please don't make us play the Super Nintendo games what? anytime soon. Anytime soon. You mean the the Nintendo Entertainment? Yeah, original, NES, OG, NES, OG NES, Nintendo NES, games. NES. Sorry, NES. Thank you. I was like, you me. hold your tongue. Yeah, I know. Sir. Sorry, Super Nintendo is linked to the past. NES. Please don't make us play uh, the Legend of Zelda or the Adventure of Link like anytime soon. I don't know. Well, I'm you've got like at least it. you've got at least two games between now and then. So that's true because we're doing Link's Awakening and then we've got a 3D and then yep. we've got another one. Yep. OK, I think okay. I can I can mentally prepare myself in that okay. amount of time. Final thoughts on Ocarina of Time. Um, look, this game is a classic and it is a classic for a reason. Yes, I've played it so many times. I'm going to play yes. it so many more times. Yes. In my life. Um, this better be the first game you ever showed a Sawyer or I might be disappointed in you. Well, the first game I ever showed Sawyer will most definitely be a Zelda game. I don't know if it's going to be this game, but mm-hmm. might be Link's Awakening. I don't know. That was my first. I mean, that's fair, I guess. Um, when if I have kids, that it'll probably be this one. Sawyer is going to grow up in a world of Zelda. I'm going to No, him, there's no doubt about that. I'm going to let him pick his favorite. Well, obviously, so, but yeah. we'll have a little bit of nudge, nudge. Sure, sure. A little nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, no, this game absolutely is worthy of the legacy that it has. It is. Um, it stands tall in the canon of all time classic video games. Mm-hmm. And 
having you know replayed it uh back to back essentially with breath of the wild yeah where a lot of you know breath of the wild is a is a very modern game and design in games has come a long way since ocarina of time um having played the one right before this one it doesn't lose anything no you know at all like it, it like you you can tell that it is an older game a lot of the design choices it makes come from a very uh, an older convention of game design but like it's still great that doesn't take away from it at all like the best thing i can say about ocarina of time is that as old of a game as it is it doesn't feel obsolete um there are old games that you know people consider great games that yeah. you go back and you try to play now yeah and you like it's just hard well it feels old to me in the same way that star wars a new hope feels old exactly right like i mean yeah you look at it and you're like oh, oh man. man that is just so 70s yeah, yeah. They, they or in this case 90s yeah right yeah and it's it's like oh they even did this better in empire strikes back and return of the jedi or whatever but right. like you knowing those things doesn't take away from how much you're enjoying experiencing it. Absolutely. And it's it has aged gracefully. And also, like kind of we've said it before, this is one of, I would say, a handful, three, four, five, def- like genre defining um keystone moments in game design a watershed moment watershed thank you yeah. yes it's, it, this this is one of four or five watershed moments in video game history and when you look at the zelda portfolio all of them are great games but not all of them drastically influenced the entire world of video game development sure ocarina of time is a fantastic game and also had a drastic impact on the world of video game design um in, in much the same way that Mario 64 did, because I think Mario 64 did come out before Ocarina of Time. Yes, it did. But I feel like Ocarina of Time took what was good about Mario 64 and improved upon it in the adventure exploration um, style of game that and puzzle solving and dungeons and th- everything that was designed about this game influenced almost every game after it. sure a lot of what nintendo was kind of hashing out in those early n64 games is a way and this is this is nintendo's first party game development they're trying to figure out the best way to use movement and camera in a 3d space right. to create a good gameplay experience and they absolutely broke new ground on mario 64 yes with with its camera and movement systems and then obviously they had to adapt those same principles for a different kind of game for ocarina of time and the results speak for themselves you know ocarina of time and mario 64 are two of the most groundbreaking games ever made and two Mm -hmm. of the most uh beloved nintendo first party titles ever created and the, the implementation of z targeting was so unique within zelda because it helped you to orient yourself within that 3d space right when gamers were not necessarily used to having to navigate that kind of camera angle the z targeting was just a quick reset button that also functioned to help you focus on important objects right so you don't get so much lost in there i can look in almost any direction the z targeting was so helpful in um being like a gentle guide to what is important and also like hey you get disoriented boom click that z button or in in our case if you're playing on the 3ds i think it's left trigger um yeah then it helps you just 
quickly reset, reorient, and, and move forward. And I think the Z targeting in a lot of ways carried over into in different iterations into most modern Zelda games. Mm-hmm. And it is a really uh it was an ingenious kind of way also using uh Navi Navi for that mm-hmm. uh was made her not just your kind of guide, it made her an actual like useful companion part of the game. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. Um yeah, what else is there to say? <laughs> I mean, like, like <laughs> guys, this is, and I know if you guys are listen, if you guys are our listeners, you know exactly how important Ocarina of Time is. So I feel like we're not exactly beating a dead horse here, but it's like you just got to put it into words occasionally of just how important this game is. Yep. Not only to the Zelda universe, but to video gaming in general. And mm-hmm. the, like, I feel like we're we're really coming out swinging at the top tier here with our first season covering one of the best and most impactful video games of all time. Yep, absolutely. All right, guys, I think that uh, has us about done with the Sacred Realms recap for Ocarina of Time. It has been a great journey playing through this game with you, Matt. 11 weeks, 11 weeks, and it doesn't feel like that long um, it's been so much fun. I am so glad we actually decided to get this off the ground instead mm-hmm. of just being one of those things that we talk about for a long time and never do. Yeah. Um, it's been having some time every week to take out of your busy life. Right. So you were both working adults. You're about to have a child. I'm moving into a new apartment and like, there's just so much going on having this to just seclude ourselves and talk about something we're both so passionate about has been a lot of fun. Yep. And I really hope that our listeners are enjoying that as well. And that I hope this is a place where you can come and escape from your day to day rush and just talk with us, you know, about something I think we're all very passionate about. Yeah. 100%. Um, but you know, all that being said, uh, this train keeps on a rolling. Absolutely. And I am so excited because if Ocarina of Time is one of the biggest video games in in the canon of game design, then Link's Awakening is one of the bi- the is one of the biggest moments in my own personal history with video games. So I'm very excited to get into that game next and to you know to really pick it apart and get into the nitty gritty of it because Absolutely. it's a very different kind of video game than ocarina of time very very different and and i love it i love it so much i can't wait to play it yeah and i'm really glad that we're staggering the 3d and the top downs yeah um i think that's going to be a very good juxtaposition that we'll have a lot to talk about right yeah um it's going to be a lot of fun to dissect that. I've only played it once, so uh, playing it again here is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we will be playing it on the Switch, by the way, for yes. those of you who want to play along with us. Uh, we will be playing the Switch version, which I know has some differences to the original. Uh, Mostly visual. The The progression of the game, the things that happen in it are still the same. Right, but all, like the biggest one I can think of outside of visual is that the sword is its own item you don't have to equip it in a slot yeah we'll talk a bit a bit more about this next week but yeah there are some changes but yes if you want to play along with us then we will be playing on the switch version which please play along with us and tell us how wrong we are on twitter just please don't (laughs) roast me for pronouncing things wrong (laughs) yeah uh you can cross or do you can cross your fingers on that one matt i don't know that it's going to come true i know okay so before we get out of here as far as news and releases go, 
Um, we don't have anything super immediate to talk about right this very second. Uh, as we said the last few episodes, Nintendo's E3 2021 presentation is going to take place Tuesday morning. And uh, obviously, by the time you're listening to this episode, that will have already happened. Uh, our plan is to record a bonus episode to kind of recap whatever Nintendo announces as part of that presentation, mostly because we expect there to be a pretty big Zelda component to the whole thing. So, I mean, probably a massive Zelda component. That's that's the hope. We're, we're crossing our fingers for Breath of the Wild 2 and any uh, possible Zelda 35th anniversary releases is really what we're banking on. Both uh, both of those things, I think, sound uh pretty likely plausible. at this point. Yeah, well, plausible, but also when there's smoke, there's fire, and there's a lot of smoke about both of those things. Agreed. Hey, listen! Editing Mike from the future. Hey, guys, it's Lyndon. I wanted to let you all know that I have had a chance to watch Nintendo's E3 presentation before this episode goes live. Um, it is maybe a little bit less beefy than everything we were making it out to be here. There is some neat stuff, but Matt and I were of the opinion that it wasn't quite enough Zelda focus uh, to really warrant doing an entire bonus episode breakdown about just that, at least not right this very second. Um, so none of that is going to be happening. Um, one thing we will probably do in the future is we will have a bonus episode where we're breaking down some theories and uh, reactions to the Breath of the Wild trailer, which was shown during the presentation. Go check it out. It's awesome. Um, we're going to give that a few days, maybe a week or two to really, you know, settle down and uh and you know give some people time to analyze it and come up with some some informed takes about what's going on there and then we'll hop back in and talk about it drop our opinions and we'll let you know what we think but um for right now uh yeah definitely do not expect an e3 recap bonus episode just go watch it for yourself there's some neat zelda stuff but it's uh you know nothing crazy so anywho that's all one thing i do want to say before we get out of here as well is that um so we've got a lot of this great bonus content. We've got bonus episodes and I, we had four for this first season and I think we're very proud of them. Um, for sure. Having those locked behind the Patreon, I think has led to a situation where a lot of people don't even know that they necessarily exist and are thus not interacting with them. I know. Yeah. We're very thankful to our, our patrons. You guys rock and are amazing. Uh, but I think also most of those guys are in there for the trading cards, which we really appreciate. Oh, very much appreciate because those trading cards are dope. Yeah. But, uh, also I think that once Apple podcast subscriptions go live later this month, we're going to find a way to get the bonus content available on that as well. So anyone who wants to consume just the bonus episodes and not necessarily any of the other bonuses you get from the Patreon. We'll be able to get at them there. Uh, obviously, we know that not everybody listens to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And, uh, you know, there's only so much that we can do about all of this stuff. But uh, if you are listening on something like Spotify and you want access to the bonus episodes, just please remember that those are still on Patreon and they can still be accessed uh, there as well. But we'll have more uh, firm and concrete information in the next few weeks about what our strategy is going to be around this content uh, as we get more specifics from Apple on what their rollout looks like for the, for the podcast subscriptions. So anywho, uh, more to come. More to come, but we will continue. Our, our plan is to continue making bonus episodes and bonus content interviews with cool people, us talking about stuff not necessarily related to the game we're playing at the moment. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. 
I, I'm super excited. I think we've got, I mean, I think you and I, we clocked it out. We've got two and a half, three years worth of Zelda games here to, to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so. not notwithstanding any new ones that come out between now. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, though. Breath of the Wild and Breath of the Wild 2 are going to be, uh, whew. They're going to be doozies. No idea. <laughs> to how try to try to try yeah. to cover those. <laughs> at some at some point, Matt and I should really have a conversation about how we're going to do that. But I just I have no just idea. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. Man, I think that's about it for today. Matt, do you have anything else you want to say before we get out of here? I don't. Uh, other than thank you guys, thank you for supporting us, and thank y'all. I guess I should say instead of you guys, thank y'all for supporting us, for interacting with us, for hitting us up on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, all, all the five star reviews. Um, Lyndon and I have a lot of fun just by ourselves, but you guys really make it special. So thank you. No doubt. Cheers to that. All right. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. Got no rupees? It's not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a fantastic free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show, and that makes us very, very happy. Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Link's Awakening from the game intro through the Tail Cave. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Link's Awakening can be played in its original format on the Nintendo 2DS or 3DS, or on your trusty old Game Boy or Game Boy Color. Or, of course, you can play the remastered version on the Nintendo Switch, which is the version that we will be playing. In the meantime, guys... May your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss, and we'll catch you next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.